Coming up, J. Michael Collins and a new episode of This Week in VO. But first, with the latest news in the world of VO, here's News Desk with Graham Spicer. Mark Gus, a talent manager with many A-list voice actors on his roster, has recently written a new book, Instincts of a Talent Agent, Entrepreneurial Takeaways from an Industry Insider. This book is unlike any other about voiceover. Rather than focusing on voiceover techniques or a biography, Gus focuses on the winning mindset, suggesting that the reader bring entrepreneurial skills to successfully grow their career. I recently interviewed Gus about his book and entrepreneurialism. Well, the industry has changed considerably in the last couple of years, and it is an environment where a voice actor can be more than just a voice actor and take their entrepreneurial skills into their own hands. And if they don't have entrepreneurial skills, we get into what it takes to be an entrepreneur. So this book covers a lot of how to be one, how to apply those principles, and your talent starts with you, and then you need a lot more these days. I asked Gus about what tools are needed to get work as a voice actor now versus 20 years ago. Back in the day, it was crucial to have a great demo, and then you were probably off to the races with representation, where you then relied on your representation for the rest of your career. In 2022 and beyond, you're able to have a business partner in your representation while you're the CEO of your company. Gus further explains what's needed as a voice actor and talks about the myth of overnight success. I would say patience and practicality. There are so many people who come into the business these days because you're able to, with an online business, buy a mic and start auditioning without any training and assume that you can be a successful voice actor, but that's really not the way the business works. And if someone thinks that they need to get into voiceover to make a quick buck or they're looking for quick overnight success, it's just not going to be the case unless you get super lucky. I mean, lightning does strike, but it usually isn't the case. And it's comparable to any other area of entertainment. It's comparable to music, to theater, to television, to motion picture, to music, to books. Everything takes a while to hone your craft. I don't know where we got the notion that voiceover is an easy entry and easy money very quickly. I don't know, but I think the online casting sites allowed talent to believe that that could be the case. And again, not to say that it can't be the case for certain lucky people. Gus was one of the most successful agents at William Morris before leaving to form his own management firm. I asked him about his time at William Morris and how he used the entrepreneurial skills described in his book to build his business there. I could have stayed at William Morris for another 25 years and been happy. I I was very happy being an agent. It was a dream come true, not only to be an agent, but to be an agent at the brand name agency. It's almost synonymous with talent agency, William Morris agency, the history. I got to see a lot of incarnations of it throughout my specific career. And I loved it. It was beyond... It was an experience beyond my expectations, 
In my book, I say that you can be an entrepreneur within a company as well, which is the way I handled it. Because when I got to William Morris, I didn't have a business that I could just bring over because I just couldn't. I was restricted from doing so for X amount of time. And I had to figure out pretty quickly, how do I stay here? So I figured out very quickly that there was no real representation on a high level for radio imagers. And one of the clients that were that was at William Morris when I got there was the voice of 25 radio stations. And I got to understand that there's a good business there. A bunch of the talent agencies were working in the TV affiliate world, and so was I. The radio imaging world had less of a budget, but it was more flexible work. You didn't have to be tied to an ISDN line three times a day. You had a more flexible schedule, but it was still volume, but it was a bit more relaxed. And on top of it, there are so many more radio stations than television stations, so the turnaround is a lot greater and there's a lot more work versus TV affiliates where the branding of that sound has traditionally lasted for years and years at television stations. So it's hard to knock that talent off the block unless you're dealing with sweeps period and they want to do present a different sound for sweeps. That wasn't enough for me and I didn't think that was going to be enough of a business. So I wound up going out there and signing almost every top radio imager in the country. And we went from a roster uh, uh, that worked for 25 radio stations with that one talent to over 2,500 radio stations in less than a year. And that became my annuity for the next dozen years plus at William Morris. And my clients were making money, more money every year my department was doing better every year and it allowed me to branch out into other areas which is create the voiceover promo department the radio broadcasting department i didn't think that i would ever create a radio broadcasting department the reason i created it is because i had so many great relationships with radio stations at this point from the radio imaging business and i and a few broadcast deals just fell into my lap and i said wait a minute why am i not overseeing this and heading up a whole radio broadcast department, I became the go-to for the whole William Morris agency, New York, Beverly Hills, Nashville, London, Miami. Every agent would call me to discuss if a client of theirs was interested in doing a radio show. And I'm talking about major celebrity as well. You could read some of that in my book. But when, when I have Quentin Tarantino sitting in my office talking to me about his aspirations or J.J. Abrams talking about his aspirations in radio, and I'm walking them over to Sirius Satellite on 6th Avenue to discuss this. So, so that's an example of an entrepreneurial way to approach being a talent agent at an agency, find a niche that no one else is covering. Luckily, I was able to find a few niches that nobody else was covering. But for the most part, when you think about being a talent agent, you think about you know entourage, you think about a motion picture or a television agent. And I saw that as a very dangerous way to go about agenting and being an entrepreneur at the same time, because if you leave the agency, someone's right there to replace you and take over your buyers and take over your clients. And it could be as if you were never there. Um, so there is an entrepreneurial way to go about 
being successful within a company that's not your own company, that makes you invaluable, that makes your business potentially transportable, where you could then become an entrepreneur on your, your own. It's not like you should be thinking or have your boss be thinking that you know, you're ready to transport your business, but can't help but carry the skills that you do. And I just decided that, look, I spent 13 years at William Morris. I could have spent 28 years at William Morris. And I still felt that I got the experience that I needed to be able to go out there and create something different. Gus is now changing the talent agency model with his management company, ACM Talent. To the question of ACM, the talent managers that existed when I was an agent, when Phil Sutphin, my business partner, was an agent, other agents, when other managers at ACM, when we were agents, we had the task of making sure that our clients are represented a certain way. It was it was limiting in voiceover because we couldn't stretch the opportunities enough for clients because we had so because we had so many clients that we were representing and the management model was movie trailers and a little bit of promos that's what was happening in management before we got to it and the management model traditionally in entertainment including management and voiceover was that managers would be commissioning entire businesses of talent not just talking about movie trailer and promo everything that they do in voiceover. And I was thinking, well, if we're going to create that, we better provide our clients with as many opportunities as possible. Why would I want to limit it to just movie trailer and promo? It was unheard of to think that management companies would go out there aggressively and be game changers and disruptors in a good way to represent talent for everything. So our clients now, with the group that we have, which comprises of former WME, you know, myself and Andrew Akin, who runs movie trailers and promos, and Eric Seastrand, who's a legend in commercials, who ran the commercial department there forever. Uh, he was my buddy there. I can't believe we're working together at ACM. And Robin Starr and Melanie Thomas from came over from Abrams, which is A3, and Jeffrey Umberger, you know, the famous Umberger agency, and just on and on and on. Like the fact that we were able to brainstorm and bring the best representation under one roof. Like I always used to think of that when I was at William Morris. I would go to management and say, you know, my ultimate would be to bring this person over and from that agency and that person over and that person over and that person over. And you're limited at a talent agency as to, you know, the budget or decisions that are going to be made within your department. I, and I was very happy because they gave me everything I pretty much wanted, but I just felt that I would have more freedom to be able to be the entrepreneur that I needed to be for talent, for, for us and for the benefit of talent. So we have a smaller roster, it's the management model, and we're able to provide a ton of activity for our clients, like coming at them like every which way, where we're literally bombarding them with opportunities. And and when I hear a client tell me that, you know, call me and say, well, how am I supposed to get to all of this by the end of the day? I say, you know what? That's a beautiful problem that we have. And the this is now about your day-to-day -day management skills. Instincts of a talent agent may be a thin volume, but that's misleading in two ways. First, the type is small and packed onto each page. 
And second, the message delivered in the content is powerful without wasted prose. The book's highly recommended and is available from Gus's website at marcgus.com or via next-day delivery in most locations from Amazon. More information about ACM can be found at acmtalent.com. You've been listening to News Desk with Graham Spicer. Have a story or upcoming event? Email us at thisweekinvo at gmail.com. Get ready because This Week in VO with J. Michael Collins is up next. Welcome to This Week in VO with J. Michael Collins. Each week, JMC will host one of the voiceover industry's most interesting personalities for a casual freestyle chat that encompasses more than just business, digging deep into the guest's backstory and pulling back the curtain on how they became the person they are today. And now for this week's guest, Anne Ganguza. Hey everybody, it's Jay Michael. I am back with another episode of This Week in VO. And uh, I know I always say I've got one of my favorite people with me because I only tend to book my favorite people for this, but I genuinely mean it when I talk about the following person who is the founder of VO Peeps, the founder of the VO Boss podcast and blasts and many other good things, um, a sponsor of scholarships around the industry, a philanthropist, an incredible and successful talent, a fantastic coach who uh, is uh, somebody after my own heart because we are two of the very few people, I think, who teach obscure things like medical narration uh, and uh, and somebody who's just a demo producer, fantastic demo producer and a leading light in the industry and has been for so many years. It is uh, and, and also the owner of, I think, 1,367 cats. Um, I would like to welcome to the podcast none other than Anne Ganguza. I'm so st- Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> Was that an accurate number? I mean, am I in the ballpark? <laughs> in know, the cat ballpark? If I could, you know, I I would. If I wasn't doing voiceover, my next, you know, my next thing that I want to do is I will own that cat cafe or cat, you know, <laughs> and, and Jerry will cook and I will have thousands of cats, you know, that people can adopt and I can love on all day so yeah i think 1300 cats would would create a pretty high noise floor though wouldn't it it would it really would yeah you kind of nailed me to that's that's a good accurate description but thank you for that that was what a wonderful what a wonderful intro i like that i'm gonna i'm gonna play this recording every morning now (laughs) i'm glad and i'm I'm, I'm glad you're here it's been a little while since we had the chance to to hang because of the pandemic and other crazy stuff and uh it's it's just good to to chat with you again what's what's new in your world what's going on out there in in la la land (laughs) well you know i'm grateful and happy to say that i am busy and that i think for anyone running their own business is is a good thing um sometimes a little too busy but you know (laughs) what it's okay um everything is a teachable moment that's what i like to say so yeah really busy since the pandemic not i mean i was busy before the pandemic but you know i i think that evolving with the times um i'm grateful that the business is still going strong and i have a lot of good feelings about this industry moving forward i mean it's just it's still going very strong and people are in need of good voiceover 
Well, and I mentioned at the top, but you're, you know, I, I don't know that there's anybody but you and me who people think of when they think of people who are doing a lot of medical narration or doing mm -hmm. medical narration demos or coaching in the business. Um, you know, that the talk, talk to us a little bit, because I, I talk about it all the time, but people, I don't believe, I don't think they believe me when I tell them um, <laughs> how, how medical narration kind of went nuts starting in March of 2020. What's your experience been? And, and, you know, are you seeing any slowdown? Is it still where it, where it doubled or tripled to? I mean, where are oh, we yeah, at? No. It's, you know, it's, it's booming <laughs> actually. And I truly love it. Like I mean, if you say, you don't know if people believe you, like when we say that we probably love doing medical narrations ourselves, which <laughs> I do because I'm that kind of a geek that loves those big words. And I, I really feel like this is, it's a way that as a voice talent, I can lend my voice to helping people because, you know, people, when they're listening to any type of medical narration, whether they're trying to learn or they're trying to understand maybe what's on the back of that, you know, pharmaceutical label that they're reading, I always feel like my voice can lend a hand in helping them to comfort them, to deliver the knowledge that they're looking for. And it's one of the reasons why I truly, truly love doing medical narration. And I'm like such a geek about it. Um, and therefore I love, you know, coaching medical. I like producing medical stuff. And it just has just exploded over the past couple of years because now people are just thinking about their health. People are living longer. And so, you know, it's there are more conditions that people are being becoming aware of medically. And so there's a lot to talk about. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. And I, I love how what a warm and answer that was about why you love doing medical narration, because then mm. they would go, Jay Michael, why do you like medical narration? And I'm just mercenary, 50 cents a word. That's why I like medical narration. You know, I'll follow that off with, yeah, it's the tail end of that is that it's my highest paying narration. And I, you know why I said that? Because I also do a lot of corporate, as you know, and you do mm -hmm. too. But when I, you know, worked in the corporate world, my first job out of college was as a, um, you know, biomedical engineer. So I was designing hip and knee prosthetics for people. And the one reason why I truly loved it was that I felt like I literally had a direct hand in helping people to feel better, to walk again. And it was such a sense of pride that it overcame all of the money I was being paid, but which was wonderful anyway. <laughs> <laughs> overcame it a little bit, right? You know, well, yeah, but it, was, it was such a bonus. And I thought, you know what? I And then I, then I worked other corporate jobs that didn't quite give me the same, you know, feeling of, wow, I really helped someone, um, at least a direct impact because I, I would actually you know, kind of be involved. I, I got to go into operating rooms and watch oh, wow. the wow. implants being, you know, put in. And, and it was really just a cool full circle type of feel. So whenever I approach medical narration today, I just remember that feeling of, wow, I'm helping someone. And that comes first and foremost, but that's after I've quoted them, right? For <laughs> <laughs> the 50 cents a word uh, and sometimes more. Right. <laughs> so. But what, what, what's, what's the most, okay, let, let's, let's kind of go through um, some, some stuff that you've encountered over the years. Tell me the most terrifying medical narration you've ever done. <laughs> Um, well, the most terrifying one literally was when I was being live directed um, for a pretty big name. But the engineer was asking me to do like three retakes of every single sentence. Mm. And so what should have been, you know, maybe a 40 minute live session turned out to be like three hours and 40 mm. minutes. And it became where the client was sitting there and he's like, so do you have any comments? You know, the engineer would be like, okay, what do you think? And they sounds fine to me. And literally he would go back. Okay, well, let's just go back and take another. Another, let's do another just in case. And I literally was like, 
in my head, I was so it was hard to like maintain like calm because right. I was just like, wow, I really shouldn't have to do every single sentence three times over. But I, you know, I did what I did. Um, and we went through that session and it just was, I think that at that time I was like, well, should I make sure I'm going to tell my agent that this took three times as long as it should have, uh, you know, to see if maybe there's an adjustment in the pay, because I think I was kind of frustrated. So when you're under that kind of pressure to say those words, Time and time and time again, I, I got good at it, but I was also just kind of internally, you know, kind of going, wow, this is exhausting mm. and this really isn't necessary if the client is happy. <laughs> well, <laughs> so that was kind of my terrifying one. And it, I don't think it ever came down to having to say a word because I'm very, you know, I mean, I, we do our homework. I'm sure, you know, right. I mean, I can't just right. always say those words off the top of my, you know, tongue. I, I, uh, I go and I phonetically spell them out. I, I actually will mark up some copy and, and highlight it so that I can practice it with the words before and after so that it's smooth mm -hmm. so that it sounds authoritative and confident. And, you know, other than that amount of work, sometimes it's when you can't get in touch with the source to find out a pronunciation of, let's say, either a doctor's name or maybe a drug names, know, you know, new, yeah. new, new drug names that, yeah, that aren't based in names. Latin that they've just completely made up. Yeah. And that there's no videos online for. So there is a, a quite a bit of work, you know, sometimes, you know, homework you've got to do to find out that because it's very difficult. You know, those people are out there, you know, saving lives and I don't know, developing new things to, you know, improve people's health. So I guess somebody's saying, how do you pronounce? <laughs> <laughs> Make you start farting Izumab. Yeah, um, right? it's like <laughs> and those numbers. Do you know what I mean? When you're doing yeah. doctor's notes, I don't know if you've had experience doing doctor's notes, but right. Sometimes when they're doing all of the the numbers, you know, BP 120 over 80, but they everything's a symbol. And sometimes I'm not exactly sure what symbols, you mm. know, come out to be in English. So sometimes that's frustrating, but nothing tremendously, you know, horrifying. What about you? I want to hear yours. Well, you know, horrifying might be the right word, but the, the, the one that always sticks with me is training narration for surgeons. Um, which yeah. I've done a few times and mm -hmm. there's always, then they're not usually for me, at least live directed. I think I've only had one or two medical clients over the last couple of years who right. really, uh, other than corporate corporate medical sometimes gets live direct, but if it's, if it's training, yeah. not as much. And, um, there's just that little element of, you know, if I get something wrong, somebody's going to bleed out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure he cuts yeah. the right play, the right vein and not the wrong that's, vein. Right? So it's, that's, the right. Uh, that's the vein on the right, not the right. left. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's that's uh what what about ethical? Have you ever had anything with medical that you've you've run up against and said, hmm, not sure I feel comfortable with this? You know, no, but I recently, and I don't know if you've done the same, I have been binge watching like dope sick, um, pharma bro, mm. uh, all of these, all of these, all of these movies and series about, you know, pharmaceutical companies or medical companies. Um, oh, what's the other one? The drop. Did I say the dropout with uh, Theranos? No. Uh, and, yeah. So I, I all of a sudden started to think about these companies in kind of a different way, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting. So when I, when I read the back, I do a lot of reading the back of pharmaceutical labels mm -hmm. um, and the cool thing about that is if you know for those people listening is that once you get 
once you get a company, and we've probably said this multiple times, once you get a company that trusts you, they just come back again. They marry and again you. And, again. Yeah, and they, marry they do. You. And I've had this company, I've had this this client for years. And they just, every time they update the back of the label, right? Guess what? I get a call, which is really awesome. Um, and as a matter of fact, I just got another email from them the other day. So, and then wherever else they put out the pharmaceutical in another country or in another, you know, place where they have to update their, their label, I get a call, which is... Right. Really wonderful. So, you know, reading back, reading the pharmaceutical labels makes me think, <laughs> you know, <laughs> pharmaceuticals, it's a huge business. And I've, I've definitely, you know, um, not necessarily my, well, I've had experience. I mean, we all take medications mm -hmm. and, you know, I've always thought about, you know, when I'm reading the label of the pharmaceutical, the person that's, you know, that's maybe listening to it, if this is for compliance, you know, they're nervous. They don't want side effects. They right. don't want these horrible things to happen. They want to make sure that they're taking the right dosage. And I'm always conscious of that when I'm voicing as if, you know, I want to put them at ease, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so it's just interesting that the way I, I am now looking at pharmaceuticals, um, because they're a, a big part of what I do in medical right. uh, narration. So I, I just, I think the one, I think just maybe, do I feel that pharmaceuticals, like, am I buying into, are pharmaceuticals bad? Is it all just about the money? You know, it's... <laughs> it's it's a definite discussion, you know, that I'm sure people have opinions on. It's 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 kind of hard to swallow sometimes when you read, you know, side effects include Ebola, zombieism, aggravated yeah. herpes, and COVID twenty yeah. three. Yeah. You know, and it's like uh, <laughs> exactly, it's like, yeah, exactly. Uh, nothing, like, Oh my goodness, I don't know if I would want to take that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure which the worst one on that list was, but in any case. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, even when you hear them on the, you know, in commercials too, it's just like, whoa, that's a yeah. lot of symptoms. Well, it's all, it kills me with commercials. Cause you sit there and it's like 10, 10 seconds of, of product yeah. VO and then 20 seconds of, and it will kill you if you are <laughs> vaguely human or otherwise consume oxygen, you know, and it's, <laughs> but again, bringing it full circle, right? We are the ones informing. So therefore I feel it a good that I'm responsibly informing people of the possible side effects. Right. It's there a civic go. duty, right? That's it. Exactly. <laughs> that, that you can take to the bank. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> good. Uh, okay. So let, let's, let's back up a minute because we got right into business for crying out loud. Um, how, how's Jerry? Jerry's doing awesome. Thank you. You know, he's cooking as usual. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he just, that's his thing. That's like his man cave is the kitchen. So I appreciate that because, uh, you know what? I've just been you know, hold up in the studio and working really hard. And it really, I'm very grateful for a husband who cooks because I honestly could care less <laughs> about cooking. <laughs> and so it's really nice to have someone who just, you know, that's how he de-stresses. And uh, so I'm happy to be the recipient of that. And uh, what's, what's know. the, what's the signature Jerry Ganguza dish? Oh my God. Anything I give him a challenge, you know, I'll be like, we might watch a cooking show and I'll be like, Oh my God, that would be great. Like last, let's see last Saturday. So we have happy hour, um, with our, with our neighbors since mm -hmm. the pandemic. The nice thing is we moved to a community and we would meet weekly outside, 
uh, to get to know one another and because we couldn't go anywhere. And mm-hmm. so we would sit outside six feet apart or however long apart with our masks and all that sort of thing. But we got to know our neighbors really well, which is really wonderful. So we still continue a tradition of once a week. They actually meet twice a week, maybe three or four times a week. And they're always drinking. Um, but <laughs> like, there's like, Anne, we need you to come to Drunk Book Club. Um, no, I'm sorry, I'm working. But anyways, we meet on Saturdays and Jerry has gotten to kind of his thing is to create something special for every happy hour that we can share. So last week he made pulled pork sundaes. So talk about a layer of pulled pork, a layer of coleslaw, mashed potatoes, a little bit of barbecue sauce drizzled on top, and then a pickle on a toothpick. It was amazing. I'm just saying. Wow. <laughs> and the restaurant <laughs> opens when? Yeah, just you know, he he doesn't want to do that because he says if he, you know, if he does um does it for a living, he may not enjoy it as much. So for now, I'm st- I always Damon Michael, can I tell you, for years I have tried to like market this man. Um, I'm like, <laughs> let me put you on YouTube. Let me, you know, let me install a camera, you know, above. I want the top, top view camera uh on the ceiling, and then I want to be able to, you know, film him while he's while he's cooking <laughs> and put it on YouTube because I know there's a there's a business there. And he just he's like, mm. <laughs> so and I'm like, okay, let's do cooking classes for the community, right? Right. Uh, Still, it's just one of those things that he kind of just brushes off. But man, I'll tell you, he's a gold mine if he'd let me. If he would oh, just nice. let me, Jay Michael, I would, yeah. you know, entrepreneurs as we are. <laughs> right, right. right? Yeah, I've tried, tried to do the same with Anna. I'm like, you need to go right? on MasterChef, you know? And it's, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely like we're always trying to make the business out of something. I'm like, please let me help you make money. Let's make money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> my, my thing um, now is I'm telling her, you need to do unboxing videos with Tom. You know, oh, yes, yes, he's, absolutely. He's, there's this little Thai kid making like eighteen million dollars a year. You exactly. know, I'm, I'm like, well, he, he just tease a door. You know, he's cute. Use him, use him. We did not the working kid can stop. Um. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and now, and and it's interesting because you know Jerry works in events too, and now that Anna is going to be, you know, mm-hmm. CEO doing VO Atlanta, I mean, they get, they they can share a lot of you know stories absolutely. together. Jerry's, Jerry's been doing it for like 20 years. No, and, we should, you, um, should have him, you should have him reach out. It's it's something to put on an event, as you know. Yeah, um, yeah. It is something. And so I have, uh, you know, I think I think this is going to be an amazing thing. I am excited about Via Atlanta that you've picked up Via Atlanta because, you know, um, running an event is a tough thing. It is a tough thing. And I know it. You know it. Sometimes the community doesn't realize what what it takes to put on mm-hmm. a successful event. Um so I'm no, excited to see. You. We're excited. We want to have you there to speak next year. And uh, we yes, saw, but, but, I'm you excited. know, I, I think Anna, everybody saw Anna, you know, she's done the retreats for so long yep. and, mm-hmm. you know, people don't see as much because it's behind the scenes and that's really mm-hmm. all her. But um, I think people who were at one voice in Dallas last year, um, which she basically ran from top to bottom, mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of saw, mm-hmm. saw trial by fire. So we're really excited to, to have a, a great event next year yeah. and have you, have you be a part of it. But yes, uh, me too. Me too. Uh, but uh, let's talk about cats. Um, so, uh, how, how, okay. I, I mentioned a number in the, in the tens of hundreds, but really how many are there? What kinds are there? And, and how did each one become uh, an acquisition? 
<laughs> so I've had cats all my life from the, you know, from growing up, my parents, we always, you know, there were stray cats that we would take in and we always had black or black and white cats. And uh, I met my husband and he had cats too. And I always say that the most difficult, the most difficult part of our, you know, uh, of, our, of our getting married, meeting, getting married and marriage was merging the cats because <laughs> I had a cat and he had a cat and they were both adults. And so that was you know, kind of a, you know, how are they going to, are they going to get along? You know, what's going to happen here? And so when I met Jerry, he had two cats and I had one. And so we merged them successfully. Um, and then ultimately we, we just became cat owners again and again, because we had you know, a couple that passed. And mm -hmm. so Jerry and I had a couple of difficult years in like around 2014, 2016, where both his parents passed, um, my mother passed. And there was a point where um, we had our, our one cat at the time and then he passed and we were just so heartbroken, it seemed like for, you know, a long time. And I remember that was when, you know, he would go off to work, like into an office and I would be at home and without any cats. It was so quiet. And I literally lasted a week of having no cats in the house. And I finally, I just called him up. I said, Jerry, we need, uh, I need a cat. <laughs> Not that I was trying to replace my other cat because I, he was just a, they're all heartbreakers, but he, I was especially heartbroken with this one. And I said, Jerry, it's too quiet. And I had been looking online for cats. Now the cat that we had, he was a Manx, which means they don't mm. have tails. They're kind of the, you know, the, um, oh, oh my gosh. Um, now I'm thinking about the author who, who, oh my God, tell me this is my age. Um, what? His, my age, my age. What? I can't hear Mildred. <laughs> Anyways. So, uh, I wanted a Manx cat. He was a Manx cat and I wanted another Manx cat. So I had been looking online for, you know, Manx cats and I actually found one who was an orange Manx cat and Aww. similar to the other one. Cause I thought he was like such a sweet, I'd never had a Manx cat before. And he was such a sweet, has such a sweet personality. So I found one online and, but he was an Oregon. And I said, Jerry, um, there's a cat in Oregon here <laughs> and, and look at him. He's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> would you be, would you consider going to Oregon to go get this cat? We're in California. And he said, yeah. And then I said, well, what do you think about maybe two cats? So he could have a friend. And he said, yeah, okay. I got that. So in the meantime, I had seen a couple more cats that this <laughs> person had that were kittens. And I was like, oh my gosh, those are so cute. And <laughs> they're awesome. And so I kind of kept that in the back of my head. And when we flew to Oregon, we brought two carriers just in case we were going to get a second one. And we found the first one and, you know, he came to us and we're like, yep, he's claimed us to be his humans. And then I said, well, can we see the kittens? And so she, the woman was like, sure, come on in the house. They're in the house. And the two most adorable kittens, the first ones that came out that started to play together, they were brother and sister. And I said, Jerry, I cannot separate them. And can we? And he's like, he's like, of course we can. So literally we brought two carriers, but they were so tiny. They were like gym bags. Right. Um, they were so tiny. We could fit two, the two little ones in the one oh. bag. And so we ended up getting all three of them. They are Manx Bengal mixes. So they don't have, they have varying lengths of tails. The orange one has like maybe three vertebrae in his tails. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then the other ones have kind of bobtails. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and the one, the little girl, which she was probably the runt of the litter, um, and her brother, Sebastian, she's a black and white tuxedo, and he's kind of a tabby. So none of them, one's orange, one's a tabby, and one's a tuxedo. So they don't look alike, but they're all Manx Bengal mixes from the same place, and we love them to death. And they were kittens, so we needed, you know, they were they were young. So mm-hmm. it was wonderful to watch them grow up. And of course, I have about 50,000 pictures of them <laughs> um, and videos. And so they're my children, right. they're my children right. and I love them. And Aww. they, you know, they really are a wonderful, like Zen piece of, you know, Zen for us when we're working crazy. And then I come out of my studio to take a break. I'll always be like, I need a kitty. I need a kitty to hug. And they are, they are a lot of fun and they're very happy actually we, to this new place that we moved at. It's kind of a bigger place and we got a lot of windows. So it allows yeah. them to kind of stretch out and run and Bengals ha- are kind of, they're very playful. And so, and they also have longer back legs. And so they almost like hop like bunnies because their, their back legs are longer than their front legs. Right. So, and, uh, but of course my one, the one that's the most Bengal, I think has the most Bengal in him. He's constantly tearing around the house and literally he'll tear around, tear around, tear around. And then he'll like throw up and it's basically, <laughs> you know, because he's running, cause he just ate and he's running so fast. He just throws up and then he runs again and he just goes crazy. And so I read somewhere that he's like lightening the load so that he can actually run faster. Oh, wow. So, it's funny the other day, Jerry's like, oh my God, he threw up twice. He's running around like a crazy cat and he threw up twice. And I'm like, well, you know, he's got to catch that, you know, <laughs> that prey. <laughs> <laughs> so he can so, throw it up later. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. There you go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Cat and throwing up and, you know, um, all the good stuff. All, all the, the good all things. All the things. Yeah. All the uh, things. <laughs> so talk. Okay. Back to business for a minute. Talk to us a mm-hmm. little bit about um, what is it? Cause you know, you're, you're, you're a specialist in, in corporate e-learning medical explainer. Um, and I know you do a lot of other things too, but I, I think that, you know, mm-hmm. claim, to, claim to fame. Um, mm-hmm. What is it that makes a good non-broadcast narrator? Uh, I think the narrator has, sometimes even a more difficult job than let's say somebody doing a shorter piece, like a commercial, like a 30 or 60 second piece or a promo, because you've got to capture the attention of your listener and then also keep it. (laughs) And so it's one of the reasons why I always tell my students about e-learning. Look, uh, I, because somebody's going to give me volume work doesn't mean that it's making it easier for me. As a matter of fact, if you give me more modules, it takes me even more focus to actually keep it engaging. So mm-hmm. no, uh, I mean, yeah, maybe I'll give you a, a theoretical couple hundred bucks off the top of it. But in reality, I get paid the same for you know a, a longer piece of narration e-learning as I do for corporate. Just that's kind of an aside. But right. I wanted people to know that, that if you're doing an amazing job as a narrator or a teacher... Um, and you're keeping that focus, you know, that takes a lot of, that takes a lot of concentration in between the sentences, in between the periods, right? You have to make sure that you are engaging that audience and being in the scene. And you don't just start, you know, with engaging the people in the beginning, right? And then just kind of go off into a monologue because you have a, a narrative piece and you're just narrating. Because if you're not paying attention to the person you're talking to, they don't have to pay attention to you. And so, therefore, it's kind of like when you're in school and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, the teacher, she's not looking at me right now. So <laughs> I can, oh, I can, I can write this note. Back. See, I'm old, right? I can write a note instead of text. Um, <laughs> and she won't notice. 
But that's how I feel when you're narrating. You have to be so involved in the scene and in telling the story and in being engaged that that is going to consume um, your brain (laughs) and your acting so that it keeps your listener engaged for longer than 60 seconds. And the cool thing is when we do run into material that, that is engaging and interesting, right? Yes. You know, sometimes it, it, it may be boring to you, but it can't be like in your acting, mm-hmm. you know, because if it's not exciting for you and you're not passionate about it, I think one of the things that helped me a lot was, you know, I taught in front of the class for 20 years um, and I presented a lot. So one thing people would always say to me is that I was always so enthusiastic and very passionate. And that is that that emotion that you convey behind the mic is very effective at, at bringing people along with you into the passion or being interested or following the story. So, so you're able to say something like, now let's look at the phalange on panel 365 and talk about why it's very, very interesting. It is, it is so important because, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. And so like, if you're not excited about it, they're not going to be excited about it. It's shaped like a goat. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it has to be a believable passion, right? It has to be right. that geeky passion, which I feel that I've always been a geek in a good way. I mean, there's no bad geeks, I think, but, you know, always super interested and excited and when there's a challenge, I love that. And that's right. reflected in my voice as I am voicing something. And I think that's where people have to understand that narration isn't just about reporting the information. There is a point of view. There's a there's a story. And there is a nuanced emotion for everything that you say, even if it is re- you think you're reporting numbers. Right, um, right. There's a backstory. There's a reason why you're perfor- you're reporting those numbers and a reason why they're important. And you need to, you know, elevate that audibly to someone's ears. I always call it like audible cliff notes. Right, you know, right. you are the audible cliff notes. And not every word's important, but the words you pick to be important, you have to have a point of view and a nuanced emotion. And that will be where it grabs people and makes them, mm, oh, okay, I get that. Or it'll bring them along in the story. Very cool. And I'm yeah. going to be seeing you next week for uh, VO Peeps Political. Yes, uh, I'm very excited. VO looking Peeps forward Political. to that. And, uh, yep. and you are on my wish list for Euro presenters for 2023. So, uh, <gasps> Ooh, I'm excited about that. Spring open. Uh, oh, my God. Yes, please. <laughs> now I want to know where. Huh? Yeah, well, we're, 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 we've got a couple of places in mind. I think at the cool. moment we're leaning Holland. Um, so, Ooh, awesome. Yeah, so we That's shall see. Great. But, oh, I'm excited. Uh, well, I'm getting ready for that then. I'm starting now. <laughs> All right. One, one uh, bracing piece of wisdom for people who want to break into uh, to non-broadcast narration. And then if uh, people want to coach or do demos with you, where, where do we find you? One piece. Let's say, um, I, I think it, if I had one piece to say, it's, it's more than just reading pretty. It's more than just being... Uh, it's more than more than being articulate, more than being clear, more than just sounding good. It's about really so much more of of that. And especially when, you know, there's more and more of us every day coming into the industry. And, you know, you've got to think about uh, those other those other voices, synthetic voices that might be coming up on, you know, certain parts of the industry that may mm. sound pretty decent as an information deliverer. You have to be something more than that. You have to have that point of view, that nuanced emo- that a nuanced emotion that really grabs people in and reels them in. So 
spend time in working on that. It's, you know, it's something that doesn't happen overnight typically for people because a lot of times narration isn't written, you know, storytelling or it isn't written like a, uh, a character dialogue. So you have to work harder at making it sound engaging. So definitely something to put your hours in and get great at it. Don't just be good. Get great at it. Great advice. And where do we find Anne Ganguza if we want to work with her? At AnneGanguza.com. And that's A-N-N-E. Ganguza, G-A-N-G-U-Z-Z-A.com. And uh, anybody that might be interested in talking about how we could work together, I have a free consult that you can sign up for, and I'd be happy to talk to you then. And uh, I'm all over the place. So I don't <laughs> think I don't think there's a lack of places to get in touch with me. Um, I'm pretty much all on yeah, you're, you're, not, you're not shy. Um, I'm not shy. I'm out there. We so. have that in common. Um, <laughs> but- <laughs> so true. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. So much fun talking to you. Thank you. Pleasure is always mine. Uh, that's it for this episode. We've got more st- cool stuff. I almost said stool cuff. I talk for a living. I get paid to do this. Cool stuff coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, until then, you guys know what time it is. Here is Kayla. You have been listening to This Week in VO with J. Michael Collins. Be sure to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues on social media. If you do, JMC might just send you a lobster. Now here's nobody trying to sell you anything, because that's just how we roll. Stay tuned for a new podcast most weeks throughout the year 